anyway, that was um, the one church we were at and, and, uh, on the Sunday morning. And so, uh, before. happy group of people, let me tell you. And uh, so anyway, worship begins. The next thing you know, they grab Sherry and they pull her out in the middle of the crowd. And she, they push her hands up in the air and they start wrapping her in, in linens and like uh, scarves. And then they pull Luis out. And Luisa said, the only thing I was thinking was, please don't put it on my hair. Please don't put it on my hair. Please don't put it. And they put it on her hair, tightened it right down. And uh, it, was, uh, it was quite the time. We had a real blast. But, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if, Sherry, if you wanted to share a little bit about it, but um, uh, she had quite the experience afterwards sharing with people. And I think she shared a little bit of it last week. But uh, it was amazing what God uh, did. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting because I had gone to the bathroom, which was the other side of the room, while they were doing an announcement. And then I came out and they were dancing and they pushed back all the chairs and then they dance the whole area they're dancing and I'm thinking I can't go from this side to over where Kevin is without getting taken out Um, so I'll just stay here and I just raise my hands and worship my eyes shut and the next thing I knew they had me in the center were putting things on me what you didn't get to see was there there was an older lady who decided she was going to dance with me in the middle of the circle with everybody going around us Um, and I'm not very coordinated but it was it was really interesting (laughs) Uh, That was the church that I told you about uh, where the Lord had told me. I shared it last week. The Lord had told me when I was praying for people, I didn't take an interpreter with me because I find it really frustrating praying with an interpreter. Uh, Maybe I'll get used to that. So I was praying on my own, and I felt the Lord prompt me to take off a ring and put it on the lady's ring finger and uh, found out later, because she came quite unglued when I did it, I found out later that um, she just had a whole series of uh, broken relationships and unhealthy uh, father that had abused her and uh, a man that she was currently living with that kept promising her that he was going to marry her and he was going to give her a ring. And so when I put the ring on her finger, it just confirmed really what the pastor and his wife had been already counseling her with, that it wasn't a godly relationship and for this season of her life to allow uh, Jesus to be her her spouse in this season and and me putting the ring on her ring finger was a confirmation of that the other neat thing that happened was I prayed for all these people I either prayed half of them I prayed for uh, in tongues and the other half I prayed in in English but knowing they weren't going to really understand what I was saying and afterwards uh, when I was talking to the pastor's wife She said to me, oh, yes, the ladies were telling me in great detail what you prayed over them. I said, but I didn't have an interpreter, or so I thought. (laughs) Uh, And uh, um, she said, well, no. She said, they could tell me sentence by sentence specifically what you prayed over them. And I said, well, I either prayed in tongues or I prayed in English. I said, do they understand English? And she said, only a few and very broken words. But she said, Somehow they understood. Amen. So it was so neat that uh, I just found that when you step out, God just honors Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. so many interesting ways that you never, ever dream are possible. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Well, it was a great time. It was a great time, and uh, perhaps uh, we'll get some chances to share a little bit more about it uh, next week or and uh, as we move forward, um, I really felt for some time that this year, uh, that, that I, for Christmas, I wanted to talk about home for Christmas. And some people, oh, that's really cheesy to have a little poster or a theme. But, but you know, I, I really felt there was a message in there that God wanted to, to speak to us. And so things began to come together, pieces of it began to fall into place. And, uh, and I began to understand that there was something really, uh, I think, uh, spiritual about what God wanted to communicate. Um, I think there's a lot of people that uh, uh, find Christmas difficult. There's a lot of people that find it hard because they're living estranged relationships. They have, uh, you know, they've distanced themselves from family, maybe even many times for good reason. Uh, they have uh, been hurt through uh, broken relationships, and there's a lot of a lot of pain that comes to the surface. And so it's difficult sometimes for people to embrace. Uh, you know, joy and goodwill and peace to all men. But I also realize that Jesus is the only one, though, that can heal all those wounds 
that contribute to that emptiness and that pain and that difficulty. And that really, Christmas is an invitation to them to come home, to come to Jesus, because he's the only one that can do it, no matter what we've been through. And, you know, sometimes we're guilty of the, uh, the comparison thing. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever guilty of that? You know, um, I was reading once of a, of a Hollywood actor who's making, you know, uh, $4 million a picture. And, uh, and he was upset because he wasn't making as much as somebody who was making $8 million a picture. And, uh, you know, so here he is in the midst of it all making $4 million for every film that he does, but he's not happy, he's not content because he's comparing himself to the small fraction of a percentage of people that are, are, are more successful than he is, right? And comparing would be fine if we compared ourselves to all the people that don't have it as well as us. But what our, our nature is, is to always compare ourselves, you know the old phrase, right, keeping up with the, the Joneses, right? We're always trying to keep up with that other person. We're always trying, and it's always somebody that, that we think has it better than us. And there's two things to realize about that. First of all, usually that person we're comparing ourselves that we think has it better than us uh, has got all kinds of crap going on in their life too, and you just don't know about it. That's why when all these Hollywood people get to the end of their careers, they write their memoirs, and they're filled with pain and, and grief and sorrow, right? They're just loaded with, with weighty things that, that ended up taking away all the joy. We look at them in National Enquirer and all those magazines, and oh, all oh, the glamour of it all. Just look at, look at how, the, oh, they're, they're wearing Louis Vuitton. They're, they're this, they're that. And, and you know what? And, and they're inside. They're empty, empty, empty vessels. Just empty. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that reality is there. And then the, the, the second reality is, is that, that all of that stuff that you think is making them happy, if you had it, wouldn't make you happy anyway. Because it's about, uh, well, even the scripture says that the, the godliness with contentment is great gain. As believers, we need to understand the secret of contentment. Not complacency. They're not the same thing. Contentment. Complacent is to never push to do better, never push to, to move beyond where we are, to, to grow, to develop, because we're just complacent, we'll just stay here. Contentment is recognizing that, that despite the need to improve, despite the need to move forward, that despite the, the need for us to do better, we're able to rejoice in where we are and what God has presently done. Contentment is one of the profound keys to moving forward. There's some of you here this morning, you're thinking, if I just had a different relationship, a different marriage, a, a different job, a different this, a different that, my, then life would be good. Then life would be perfect. I can, can I be honest with you? The imperfections that you're experiencing are in here. I'm not saying that there aren't things wrong with your relationships, but in order to fix them, you've got to deal with what's in here. It's what's in here that's the problem. And that's why each of us needs to receive that invitation of Jesus to come home for the holidays, to come back to Jesus, to focus on him. And that's what I want to uh, really focus on over the next uh, couple weeks. Don't really get too many opportunities to do this because we got a full month. We got some good stuff happening. Uh, on uh, Next Sunday, like I said, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, giving. It's going to be a great Sunday. Then the week after, we have our, our kids program, and that's going to be fantastic. Then it's, shoot, then we're at Christmas Eve. Just like that, gone. Just like that. So that means I'm going to have to talk fast today. And, uh, and also, kids' program Sunday is Tacky Christmas Sweater Sunday. So hello on the 17th, we are going to look good. Megan, we are going to look good. We are going to just, you know, the only, the only people that will look normal are the kids all dressed in red and black. The rest of us, we're going to give you an eye headache when they're up on the platform. The kids will actually have seizures while they're, they're performing. It'll be, it'll be something else. But uh, it is going to be a great day. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, you know, there really is no place like home for the holidays. You know, we've been really blessed as a family. Since Sherry and I have been married, uh, we've never been apart for Christmas. And since we've had children, we've always been together as a family for Christmas, except for one year, when Derek got the bright idea to go and record an album in Oregon during the month of December. So him and his buddies took off, and they, they headed to Portland, Oregon for, for a month, for the whole month of December. And if you want to know what Derek thought about the whole experience of being away from home for Christmas, uh, you can ask him afterwards, but he vowed that would never happen to him again. And uh, as much fun as they had, it sucked 
to be away from home for Christmas because really what it's about is sharing that love of Christ with each other, both being together with family and friends. And, uh, and that's why I got to admit, I love it. Can someone say, I love it too? Thank you. Barry and I, we, we love it too. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it is a good thing. And um, there's really no place that I'd rather be than with my family over Christmas. And that's why it, our kids getting married is truly bittersweet. I have to be honest about this. Little confession time. My daughter's already rolling her eyes. Because the, all the beautiful things is they, they get married and then they have this great thing called grandkids, which are absolutely wonderful. If you haven't tried it yet, you got to give it a, a, a roll. It's fantastic. Grandkids are awesome and we absolutely love grandkids. But then there's this weird thing that happens. They have this other family that they have to hang out with occasionally. I don't know why. Because, I mean, our family is the bomb. I mean, this is where to hang out. But they have this thing. they got to go to these other families. And, and we have to rent them out for, you know, specific times of the year. Birthdays and Christmas and stuff. And so, actually, we have to deal with this separation anxiety every once in a while when they're not there. And Amanda's pointing her finger and said, no, you have to deal with that. It's your problem. I realize it's my problem. But uh, uh, it, it is one of those things that you have to learn to share. And I've not been good at sharing when it comes to my family. So uh, I'm, stealing, I'm still dealing with it. Your time's coming, Barry. It's, it's already here. See, exactly. You know, what ha- what's happened with Brandon this year? I don't want to talk about it. See, exactly. <laughs> Come on, man. People wonder why we work together. We think exactly alike. Hallelujah. It's just not right. Help us, Jesus. So um, <laughs> I say all that to say... <laughs> That there's nothing like home for the holidays. And I wanted to share this morning, <laughs> I wanted to share a homecoming story this morning uh, with you. And, um, and I want to talk to you about the fact that Joseph and Mary is a homecoming story. And uh, it's a homecoming story. And I want you to look in, uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, I got it up on the screen. Luke chapter 2. And everybody's probably familiar with this story. You hear it all over the place. But this is what the scripture says. It says, in those days that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went down to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from uh, the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. All right? So, This Christmas story then begins with a homecoming. Joseph uh, going to the hometown of his birth, right? Uh, To the place of his ancestors, ancestry that he could trace all the way back to David. All the way back to David. And uh, and so here we have the story of Mary and Joseph traversing, I should say, over the, the, the rugged roads. I mean, there were no paved highways. There were some major roads that the Roman Empire had built. Uh, that uh, were not too bad, but for the most part, it was still a dangerous and difficult journey that you had to take from one place to the other. And uh, there's some interesting stuff about this story, though, that I want to touch on this morning. When Mary and Joseph left Nazareth to travel to Bethlehem, and they reached Jerusalem, because you had to go through Jerusalem to get there, they had to make a choice. They could have stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, They could walk about five miles west. They could have stayed with Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, whom Mary had just finished spending three months with. Remember the story? Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary went to visit her and spent some time with her while she was pregnant. Do you guys remember that story? So, so I mean, that was an option for them as well. They could have went and stayed with uh, Elizabeth and her husband as well. And, uh, or they could travel on another about five miles from Jerusalem, uh, five to eight, eight miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, depending on where you're going in Bethlehem. And so they decided, for whatever reason, to finish the journey and to head on the rest of the way uh, to Bethlehem. Now, uh, Joseph's family was from Bethlehem. As I said, the Bible traces his lineage all the way back here. And this is what brings me to my first problem with this, the Christmas story. Here it is. If Joseph and Mary both had family in Bethlehem, why did they have to stay in an inn? <laughs> you ever wonder that? He was going to his hometown. It's a homecoming story. Why do you have to stay in the Holiday Inn? 
about that for a minute? Why? Well, you know, that was bothered me for years, so I decided to do a little digging. How many know when something bothers you in the Bible, you should dig? If you find something you don't, you don't quite, just doesn't gel with you. And this has never gelled with me. The dude's going home and he's got to stay in, a, in an inn. It, it, it just didn't sit with me. Especially when you've been to the Middle East and you've been to those cultures and you know that to turn family out is like the worst thing you can possibly do. That if you don't open your home to family members who traveled from afar, you're worse than an infidel. So how is it possible that Joseph and Mary had to stay in an inn? See, this bothers me. Maybe these things don't bother you, but when I read the Bible, these things bother me. I want to know. It bothers me. Anyone else, does this bother you? Raise your hand. If it doesn't bother if you, if you're content just to just take it at face value, then, then, then that's fine. But how, oh, come on, honestly, does this bother you? Do you want to know why? I mean, this, this bothers me. So I said, I got to know the answer to this question. Barry, do you want to know the answer to this question? All right, praise the Lord. Somebody wants to know the answer to this question. Well, I did a little digging. There's two possible answers. Two possible answers, I think, I can, that I could think of. And really only two. All right? Here's the first one. It was not the homecoming they would have liked. Mary's pregnant, right? And she's pregnant what? As far as the rest of the family is concerned, she's out of? woo Ding, 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 ding. Not kosher, all right? Uh, they were engaged. They were betrothed. Now, maybe today, we got a pretty liberal society today, really wouldn't turn many heads, right? But in New Testament times, this was a shameful experience. So much so that if you uh, read the Scripture... If you actually pay attention to the story, the Bible says that Joseph had in mind to, uh, you know, get rid of her quietly, right? So let's pick that. Uh... Oh, let me back up here. Sorry, let me go back here. Uh... Yeah, the, the Bible says that, they, that Joseph was going to divorce her quietly, right? Now, divorce sounds like a strong word, but betrothal was, was like you're committed to each other but no nookie. Is that translated enough for everybody? It's like you're committed to each other, but mm -mm, mm -mm, not until the marriage. I mean, you know, they're, you know, hello, no, right? So, so that's, that's it. Now, and they know, these people are not stupid. They know that a woman only gets pregnant if she's been with a man. It's not like they're simple folk who didn't understand biologically where children come from. And Joseph understood where children come from. So that's why when Mary told him that she was pregnant, he was like, I'm through. We're done. And I'm sure he was even more upset and angry when she said, now, please listen. How this happened was. <laughs> now, Joseph, how this happened was, you see, I had a visitation from God, and the child within me was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Right. This kind of thing did not happen every day. In fact, it had never happened before. So Joseph wasn't buying it, right? Joseph wasn't buying it. But the Bible says because he was a righteous man, he could have had her stoned to death. But because he was a righteous man, instead he was going to quietly separate, divorce himself from her, send her off somewhere to have the child, and let her live. That's the kind of man he was. Because he was a righteous man. Now somehow in this narrative... Joseph came to believe that Mary, what was conceived within her, was legitimate, the Holy Spirit. And that's because he had a dream. God spoke to him and said to him, you know, that what she carries is from the Holy Spirit, is from God, and that you're to call the child, you know, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, right? Give him the name Jesus. You guys remember that in the story? So, so Joseph then takes her as his bride. But how many know that it may have been very difficult to explain this scenario to the rest of his family members? They're probably thinking, Joseph, you're actually going to take this girl? To be either he had to lie and say, you know, it was me, which it wasn't, because he was an honorable man, right? Or he's going to tell people the truth, and they're going to go, you are out of your flipping mind, Right? So, if you can imagine, in this situation and scenario, it's very possible that maybe the family members were like, dude, you're on your own. You're either crazy or 
part, you're willing to turn a blind eye to blatant sin or whatever your problem is, we got no room for you to stay with us. So it's possible it was not the homecoming that Joseph um, thought it was going to be. But I think there's another possibility. I don't think maybe they were in and they were in and in at all. I don't don't think they were. I think that they probably were with family. Some of you are like, but 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 the Bible says. Oh, that's interesting. Let's actually look at what the Bible does say, shall we? Shall we just have a little wee peek, shall we? Hmm? All right. Let's do that. Let's take a little wee look at what the Bible actually says. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, everybody say, while they were there. While they were there would suggest they had been there for a while. While they were there. It doesn't say upon arrival. It says, while they were there. It doesn't say, the second they stepped foot in Bethlehem, Joseph was searching for a place to stay. It says, while they were there. Interesting. Then it says, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, right? Now, notice in the narrative that it never mentions that Jesus was born in a stable. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Does not. Says she placed him in a manger. Doesn't say he was born in a stable. But our nativity scene, there's a stable there. You're right, there is. And there's cows and oxes and sheep and bat and all that. I mean, it's there. Doesn't say that he was born in a stable. Just says she laid him in a manger. But, 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 but the shepherds, yes, they were told that you would find the baby lying in a Never says he'd be in a stable. But every, every nativity I've ever seen, yes, I understand what every nativity you've ever seen has, but it doesn't say it in the Scripture. It doesn't say it in the Scripture. It says that they laid him in a manger. Now, we and those who interpreted the Bible or write the Bible or those who create all the scenes throughout liturgy for uh, literally centuries have put him in a stable because in our cultural experience, mangers are only found in barns and stables. But that wasn't true in the Middle East. See, in the Middle East, livestock was as important as anything else in your house. And so you tended to lock your livestock in with you at night. And since there was no source of heat in many homes, only a place to cook, many of them wanted the animals in there because they gave off extra heat and it warmed the whole house. And so the manger was just part of your living room. Animals on one side, people on the other, and then the adults usually slept in a loft adjacent to it. Many times it was even cut into a cave into the side of a hill if you're a farmer. And so uh, the fact that he was laid in a manger just means that the most comfortable thing for a people who were not expecting a baby to be born would have been just to, to confine him and space him in was a manger that was probably there for the animals that were basically staying with the family. Interesting, isn't it? Because it never says. But that story gets even more interesting. Can I share something else with you? That word right there, Cataluma. Everybody say Cataluma. Cataluma is the Greek word that is translated in many translations as in, in Scripture. But if you look in the NIV, it doesn't say he was born in an inn. It says in a guest room. And the actual word Cataluma means guest room or an upper room. In fact, when Jesus told the disciples to go and see this guy and, and, and tell him that, you know, my Savior needs a place to celebrate the Passover, and he said uh, that he had a upper room, a Cataluma is the word that's used. Yet in the story of the Good Samaritan, when it says that he took the, the man that he'd found beaten on the side of the road and he took him to an inn, it's a different word entirely. It's not Cataluma. Some of you are going, you're just ruining Christmas for me. <laughs> the whole story's just being changed. <laughs> the reality is that Cataluma is never translated in in Scripture. 
except for in this Christmas narrative, by people who were having a hard time with the whole thing about mangers because of cultural influences when we're translating the Scripture. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. In most cases, that's a very good thing. When it comes to translating Scripture, we want to translate, find... Our job is to, to, to translate it in such a way that the culture understands what's being said. So in our culture today, things are different. So we, we tend to have new translations of the Scripture coming out because we don't speak King James anymore. Right? Does anybody speak Shakespeare anymore? So that's why new translations come out, because we're trying to communicate the truths of Scripture in language that we speak, right? That's what we try to do. But you see, I think what happened is the reason in snuck in there is because they could not conceive of any place else that a manger would be found other than a stable, and who would put people in a stable except for someone that you didn't know? So obviously, they meant an inn, and the, and the innkeeper said, well, you can stay in the stable. But I would submit to you that Mary and Joseph probably came to Jerusalem and that Mary and Joseph made that journey to Jerusalem and that they were going there to stay with family, the ones that were accepting of Mary's condition, because to turn them loose, to turn them out into the streets would be worse than an infidel. It would be just an awful thing for them to do. And that they were staying there, but the home also had others who were visiting, coming for the holidays and for the... uh, uh, for the holidays, coming for the census, and that their guest room was full. There was no guest room for them. So they end up sleeping in the open area on which the farm animals were on the other side, and they're here, and when Jesus was born, they placed him in the manger. They placed him in the manger, probably at Cousin Bob's house, or Zelda's, or whatever their name was. But that's more than likely what happened. That is more likely. And, and furthermore, if you remember last uh, Good Friday, <clears throat> that, that I also would submit to you that this family member was also a temple shepherd and that they worked preparing lambs for sacrifice in Jerusalem. And that's the type of job they had. And so their manger was a place, their farm was a place where temple sheep were raised. And when Jesus was wrapped up, he was wrapped up like a sacrificial lamb, they swaddled the lambs and gave them to the person to take to the temple. And the reason they swaddled them was because they could not afford for that sheep to become blemished in any way because then they were no longer able to be sacrificed. And they would swaddle that, that lamb and then they would take them the short trek to Jerusalem where they would be sacrificed. And in Bethlehem is where all those sacrificial sheep were raised. And Jesus was wrapped like a sacrificial sheep. And the temple shepherds who were watching their flocks by night, taking care of them, when they were told how they would find baby Jesus, they knew he was the Savior of the world because he was wrapped like a sacrificial lamb. That's just what I think. That's just what I think. But you can invite it to think that with me too. It's interesting to me how uh, things get locked into our minds. How many were raised Catholic here? Let me see your hands. There are lots of things that got raised and locked in my mind that, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, have no part of reality at all. Like all the images I saw of Jesus when I was a kid, he had a halo. You know that ring, that, the rings of Saturn around his head? What's with that? You know, you could pick Jesus out in the crowd because he's the guy, he's the dude with Saturn flinging around his head, right? You know, even when he was on the cross, I mean, he's dying on the cross, he looked perfectly manicured, nails done and everything with a little teeny slice in his side and a halo. Where do we get this nonsense from, right? And so, you know, there's a lot of things you have to unlearn when you come to the scripture and you want to absolutely just tell me what the story says. And so maybe we got some stuff to unlearn. But again, the things of unlearning here are not really going to change the message that's here this morning. Whether he was uh, placed in a manger in a stable behind an inn or whether he was placed in the manger of a relative's home uh, and because there was no room in the guest house or in the guest room, it doesn't really matter. Jesus came to save the world from their sins. Does everybody agree? But I thought I'd just throw that out for you this morning. Nothing like just taking a shot at a few Christmas traditions that... <clears throat> That's why this uh, season uh, is the Advent season is a season of preparation. 
So not only is the story uh, a homecoming story, it's a preparation story. It's a homecoming story and it's a preparation story. This is the story of two people preparing their hearts to receive a child into the world. It's also a story of us preparing our own hearts to receive this child into our life. And, uh, and, you know, in evangelical churches, we don't usually follow what's called the church liturgical calendar year. And uh, because we tend to look at it as being a religious thing. And there's probably aspects of it that that's actually quite true. And uh, so I understand that. But there's also aspects of it that are quite remarkable. And one of those is the season of Advent, which begins, by the way, today. Today is the first day of Advent unless you're Greek Orthodox, then it starts 40 days out instead of the fourth Sunday before Christmas. But today is the fourth Sunday before Christmas, and today is the beginning of Advent for most of the liturgical Christian world, Anglican, Catholic, uh, Lutheran, etc., etc. Today is the beginning of Advent. This is the season of reflecting and preparing our hearts for the coming Savior. This is what Advent is. It is a season of preparation. And uh, as Mary and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem for that government-mandated homecoming, they were also preparing themselves to receive the gift of God. They were preparing themselves as parents to have this, this incredible gift be put in their care. I, I don't even know if you can even begin to. I mean, how many are parents? And you know what it was like when you had your first child, and they, they took that beautiful baby that baby that you said is the most beautiful thing in the world, even though it was wrinkled and covered in slime and everything else, and, and they place it in your hands, and you just your heart just melted right on the spot. You guys know what I'm talking about? It just literally, you just were, oh. and, and in that instant, this child that's never given anything to you, you'd take a bullet for. You would do anything to protect what you hold in your hands, this precious gift for now Mary and Joseph were being asked to not just take what we as parents would consider the most beautiful thing in the world, but to truly take the most wonderful gift that anybody's ever been asked to take, the Son of God, and receive that into the world. I, 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 I can't even imagine it. I know how blown away I was when I held our first child. When I held Ryan, I was like, this is unbelievable. This is incredible. This is miraculous. In fact, every time a child was born, I said, I believe in the supernatural. This is miraculous. This is tremendous, tremendous creativity released from our own human potential and placed in our care. And yet Mary and Joseph were receiving the Son of God. They were somehow on a journey of preparing their hearts for that. And when the, those folks that were preparing the liturgical calendar for the year and setting it out uh, for us did so with an understanding that, that it all begins here. And that's why for the liturgical calendar year, it begins with Advent. It begins here. It begins today. The, this day of preparation for the coming Messiah. And really, there are three comings of Christ that Advent celebrates. There's three comings of Christ that Advent celebrates. It celebrates <clears throat> Jesus being born in the flesh in Bethlehem. It celebrates, it's a preparation of, of, of for uh, in our hearts of that story of Jesus coming in Bethlehem, of Jesus, the Redeemer of the world, being given to humanity. It is, it is an awareness of that coming of Jesus for every one of us, and of us taking that time to walk through the whole journey with Mary and Joseph and reflecting upon uh, what it was that they actually had to endure from telling family that she was pregnant out of wedlock to trying to explain who Jesus was to having the incredible event happen with the shepherds showing up and, the, and, and all of the, the, the wonder. And then in the weeks to follow, having the wise men come and bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh and all of this stuff. And then having to flee for their lives to get away from uh, you know, the decree uh, of Caesar and, and all, all of the rest of it. I mean, my goodness gracious, it's an amazing story. And, and Advent is about that coming of Jesus and preparing our hearts for that. But it's also uh, a celebration of the coming of Christ in our own hearts. 
it's, a, it's not just the, the coming of Jesus to the world in Bethlehem, but Advent is of us taking a, a, an opportunity to reflect. And, and in many traditions, they, they would fast for the four weeks up until Christmas. And maybe there's something God wants to put his finger on that you just need to set aside and take that time to reflect upon uh, Jesus and, and Jesus' uh, territory that we've given him in our hearts. See, Jesus wants it all, but we, let's be honest, we all, we all have reserved areas for ourselves. Right? Well, that's my time, Lord. You have to be in on everything? Yes, that's where he wants to be. You know, it's my job. You don't need to be in on my job too, do you? Yes, he wants to be in on your job. You know, that's, that's Thursday night's football night. You don't really need to be in with me and the boys in football, really? Yes, he wants to be there too. He wants to be in everything, in our music, in our work, in our uh, leisure, in our, in our relationships. Jesus wants to be in all of it. And, and this is a season for us to, to sit back and, and reflect upon uh, whether we've allowed Jesus into all the areas of our heart. Have we let Jesus in? Are we, are we a walking homecoming of Jesus in every area of our life? Because that's what he wants. He's not... He's not satisfied to be standing on the outside looking in in any area of our life. He wants to be in all, through all, above all, beyond all. That's Jesus. Does everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? And so Advent's an opportunity for us to reflect on that and say, Jesus, have I really given you all the kingdoms of my heart? Have I really given them all to you? Because it's easy to keep a few in reserve, especially if you're hiding a secret sin. Oh, that's one area you just, I mean, Lloyd did a great job last week, didn't he? <laughs> just walking us through how to deal with that stuff. But, you know, so many people get wrapped up and bound because they got this little thing. They got this, this, just this little corner. And Jesus understands. He understands that, you know, we, we've worked it out. If you've worked it out, it wasn't with Jesus. He doesn't, he, he understands, yes. But is he content to leave you there? No. He's always going to be knocking on your heart saying, hello, let me in there. Let me in. Hello. Always. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. He's not going to leave you alone. He'll always be. I want to be in that area of your life. And when we've got some secret sin that we're holding on to, it doesn't matter if it's a uh, bitterness or envy or strife or if it's a sexual sin or if it's a gambling addiction or if it's a, you know, a myriad of other things. Jesus is still standing. The Bible, we have that picture of Jesus standing with a lamp post like this on the door. I don't think it's quite that, that uh, medicinal, you know. I think it's like, hey, let me in. I want to help you with that. Quit being so stubborn. Open up. Let me in. Give it all to Jesus. What are you hanging on to it for anymore? I can promise you, it's a lot easier when you just give it over. Don't hang on to it. Don't hang on to it. doesn't matter what it is. Give it to him. He's got broad shoulders. He can handle it. Really, he can. He can take it. Give it to him. Let him have that area of your heart. And finally, Advent, I said three comings. It's the coming... Uh, looking forward to the coming of Jesus in glory at the end of the age. How many know Jesus is coming again? Amen? Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And, and when he comes again for uh, his people, and when he establishes his kingdom forever and ever, and when he creates the new heaven and the new earth, and we rule and reign with him forever, this is a good thing. It is going to be an awesome time and uh, we have so much to look forward to. And, and we need to be preparing ourselves for that. That's why we need to be training ourselves, training for reigning. Am I making any sense to anybody? That's why no matter where we go, if I go to the, the, to the poorest of nations, and I've been to some pretty poor nations, that I go there, and one of my missions is to train the people that I'm working with for reigning. Because one of the things I've observed about the gospel is that no matter what culture you deposit the gospel into, redemption lifts people up. Now, it may not make millionaires out of a community in Haiti overnight, 
But what it will do is lift the people that experience Christ so that they're able to get a little bit of a leg up on the problems that are trying to drag their people down. And I see it happen everywhere I go. That when the gospel gets introduced into a culture and into a people, and they begin to lay aside pagan gods and pagan idols, and they begin to stop wasting their lives on drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other things that are destroying them, the redemptive power of Jesus lifts them up and places them above where they were before. I'm, I'm just saying. You know, there, any gospel we preach can't just work in Canada. Does that make any sense to anybody? It can't just work here. If we preach a gospel that works here, but it doesn't work in, say, in, in Haiti or in Nicaragua or Mozambique, then it's not, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's got to work everywhere. And that's why I believe in the prosperity message, but I don't believe it's a message that God wants to make billionaires out of everybody. That God wants everybody driving Ferraris or God wants... No. God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. God wants to redeem us so that through us, the world can be changed. He wants to empower us and to give us uh, uh, the, the means to be able to carry out the mission that he gave us to, get, to do. And I don't know what you, but I need, I, I need to have resources to be able to do that. And that's why the Bible says, and my God shall supply all. How many? All my needs, according to his riches and glory. So when people say to me, do you believe in that prosperity gospel? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just don't believe in the one that prospers me so I can live like a king while the rest of the world lives in poverty and I do nothing about it. That's the one I don't believe in. But I do believe in the one where God blesses me and I use every means that I have to empower as many as possible to make as much difference as possible so that the whole world experiences the lift of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel I preach and believe. All right, hear me this morning. Hallelujah. There's three people that are convinced. That's good. Hallelujah. Well, here's one inter more interesting thing, and then I'm going to close this morning from the, uh, from the uh, Advent perspective. And here it is. The, the Greek word, or the, the Hebrew word, I should say. Hebrew, listen to me. I didn't get my sleep last night. The word Advent is really Latin, Adventus. And that word comes from a Greek word. Do you know what Greek word it comes from? It's a Greek word called parousia. And, does any, and I'm sure the, the Bible scholars here remember parousia. What's parousia? What is that Greek word a reference to? The parousia is the second coming of Christ. Isn't it interesting that the word that we use at Christmas time as a season of preparation for Jesus uh, birth is actually the Latin word translated from the Greek second coming word. That Adventus is Latin for the parousia, the second coming of Christ. And so as we celebrate Advent, we're not just looking at Jesus uh, coming in the manger, and we're not just looking at Jesus coming and wanting access to all the areas of our heart. We're, taught, we're also looking at Jesus coming at the end of the age and what he's going to do when he finishes all. Hallelujah. And that's why the season of Advent is so important, because it's, it's celebrating three comings. The coming in the manger, the coming in my heart, and the coming at the end of the age. And it's all wrapped up in that same word, the advent of God. This is the thing, season of preparation because Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. You know, there's so many things in the kingdom of God that are triune in nature. Right? We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm uh, a man. That means I'm, I'm body, soul, and spirit. But it also layers into our theology. How many know that I am saved, right? I'm being saved, and I will be saved, right? Everybody say it with me. I am saved. In other words, your spirit can't be any more saved tomorrow than it is today. If Jesus is redeeming, I'm saved. My spirit is saved. I'm on my way to heaven. It doesn't matter how much I despise the person I see in the mirror. I'm the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm saved, right? Now everybody say, I will be saved. I am being saved. I'm being saved. My soul, man, my mind, my emotion, my wills is being redeemed. That's why the Bible also talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It talks about, uh, you know, uh, disciplining the, the, the flesh. It talks about crucifying the flesh. It talks about these things because I am saved, but I'm also being saved. I am, I, my soul, man, is, is becoming what my spirit, man, already is. 
everybody understand that? Now I want you to say with me, I will be saved. This tent that I walk around in is fallen. Everybody's tent is fallen. This tent is, is mortal flesh. This tent will die. This tent will, everybody say, this tent's going to die. It's going to die. It's got an expiry date on it. It's only going to last so long, and it wears out. But one day, this will be saved too, and I'll experience uh, an eternal body from Christ. I'll experience a body that doesn't wear out. I'll experience a body to which the elements fall into alignment to my command. I'll experience a body that is able to do and achieve everything that it was designed to do in the first place. I will be saved. Well, this word admin is exactly the same. It's a celebration of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. It's a celebration of his homecoming in my heart. And it's a celebration of that day that will come. When I'm going to be with him forever. Hallelujah. That's going to be the greatest homecoming of all. <laughs> that is going to be one great day. Hallelujah. There are two mistakes we make, and I'm going to close with this this morning as believers. <clears throat> First mistake we make is to have our focus so much on this journey and on our difficulties, our trials, our struggles, and our victories and our successes that we get our eyes off of the second coming. That there is a day that's coming where all things will be made right. All things will be brought into alignment. But the second mistake we make is forgetting that God left us here and has us here to change things now. And all we ever do is abstain ourselves or, uh, you know, abstench ourselves from work here because, well, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. And I'd say probably in the last hundred years, we've been more guilty of this latter one than the prior. You know, we, uh, we're just like, oh, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket anyway. Nothing I can do about it. It's all going to get worse till Jesus comes back. We throw up our hands and we do nothing. Neither one of those scenarios is acceptable to God. Neither one of them. It's impossible for you to be too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Because when we get our mind into the heavens, into the glory of God, then he sends it back here to bring his glory to earth. We start to think like he thinks about changing the world, about bringing redemption to the world, taking it to darkened corners. But it is too possible, and I think this is what the people who say that are trying to get at, to spend all of our time thinking about that which is yet to come and not focusing anything on what Christ wants to do now. And that's why my life, I have a past that Christ has redeemed me from. I have a life that I'm living now that Jesus is operating in, and I have a future that I'm going to walk out with him forever. All three of them make me who I am. Everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? This is Christmas. Let's live like the people who carry the message in our heart. It's time this, uh, uh, this time of year, and I think I actually put these down here. Yes, I did. It's time to reach out to the lonely and rejected. There's many, many people that are feeling the weight of this season, and we have the answer. The Bible says that you have this treasure in earthen vessels. And <laughs> now... Now break open that vessel and share it with people around you. All right? So take time this Christmas to reach out to those who feel rejected. Take time to pray, to thank God for family and friends. And then take time to remember that there is no place like home for Christmas. Has to be one spelling mistake in every presentation, doesn't there? <laughs> that there is, no, there, there is no place like home for Christmas. Everybody say that together. There is no place like home for Christmas. <laughs> Every single time. Let's stand together this morning. There is no place like home for the holidays. <laughs> we'll be speaking pirate for the rest of our, our day here. Pastor Mark is going to close the service this morning in prayer. My wife and I are going to go to the back so we can just have a chance to actually 
uh, greet people and shake some hands today, kiss a few babies, you know, that kind of thing. So the Lord bless you and have a great week. Amen. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, Pastor Kevin and Sherry will be at the back uh, by the bistro tables and they have uh, a gift for you. So please go and uh, introduce yourself and they'd be happy to meet you and uh, to, to bless you. Let's uh, close in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you that you came for those three reasons to Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. And I thank you, God, that we as a church, Lord, there's people here right now that have some areas in their life that they have reserved for themselves only. Lord, there's areas in their soul they've said, no, Jesus, I haven't welcomed you into this part of my life yet. But today, God, we pray and we say, we welcome, we choose to risk and put our faith into action, say, Jesus, we welcome you into every reserved area of our life. Church, just give them permission right now. Just invite the Holy Spirit into any reserved spots you have right now. He is a safe man. He is the most powerful person in the world. He will rescue you. Father, we give you permission by the Holy Spirit into every reserved room in our soul. Nothing to hide, nothing broken, nothing missing. We welcome Jesus into every reserved room. Welcome Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit, this Christmas. Welcome, Holy Spirit. And Father, as Pastor Kevin challenges there, at Christmas time, there's, there's people around us that are lonely and feeling rejected. And we ask right now, Holy Spirit, would you sh give each person in this room someone to visit this week? Lord, I pray you'd give names or a picture or a passion or a compassion to send us out this week on a mission to visit those who feel lonely and rejected and show them what it's like to have a friend or a family member come and visit with the love of Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray you'd put that person on each person's mind or heart right now. Just pray for revelation of love in Belleville this week. In Quinty, Lord, there would be so much love coming out of the church this week. We give you that this today, God. We love you and we go out in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you have a prayer need, you feel free to come forward and we'll pray for you. Have a great week and we'll see you next weekend.